The Guardian. That local assets can be used for the benefit of local people. Order. Questions to the Prime Minister, Eric Ilsley. Number one, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, before listing my engagements, I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in sending our profound condolences to the families and friends of Lance Corporal James Bateman and Private Jeff Doherty from the Parachute Regiment, who were killed in Afghanistan last week, and to the family and friends of four members of our armed forces whose tragic deaths took place yesterday and have been announced this morning. They were undertaking the most difficult missions in the most dangerous of countries. Our thoughts are with our forces and their families, not just now, but at all times. Mr. Speaker, our troops are second to none, the best in the world. They are on the noblest of missions. They are fighting for freedom for the Afghans in their own country and for the world in protecting us from terrorism. This House and this country is proud of them all. Mr. Speaker, this morning I have meetings with colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in the House, I will further such meetings later today. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I'm sure the whole House would want to be associated with my right honourable friend's comments. Whilst I very much welcome the Government's recent announcement on free swimming for the over-60s and eventually for children, is my right honourable friend aware that many leisure trusts and sports centres throughout the country are facing retrospective VAT bills on concessionary leisure passes, and any extension of that facility will mean an increased tax burden. Will my right honourable friend look again at this VAT issue on sports centres to prevent a very worthwhile policy being undermined by the unforeseen tax consequences? Uh, Mr Speaker, uh, a few days ago the Culture Secretary announced £148 million to boost uh, sport and fitness. That included free swimming for the over 60s and a challenge fund to encourage local authorities to offer free swimming to under 16s. Uh, and that is something that never happened for all the years that the Conservatives were in government. M Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker the, the, councils, the councils can reclaim NEVT incurred providing free swimming lessons to under 16s or over 60s. Paid swimming lessons provided by local authorities are exempt from VAT, and local authorities do not charge VAT on most block bookings by clubs or schools for sporting activities, but I am happy to meet him to look at any other aspects of this issue he wants to raise. David Cameron. Yeah. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Lance Corporal James Bateman and Private Jeff Doherty of Two Para who were killed on Thursday, and of course honouring the memory of the four soldiers killed yesterday. And when people ask us why are we sending our young men and women to fight and possibly die in the heat and dust of Afghanistan, let us be absolutely united in saying that their fight is our fight. This is a fight against terrorism and extremism, not just in Afghanistan, that affects the safety of our streets and our way of life too. Yeah. On the one hand, there are more roadside and suicide bombs in Helmand province. And on the other hand, there are reports today of Taliban activity in Kandahar province, where, of course, Britain also has substantial commitments. Could the Prime Minister give his latest assessment of what is unfolding in southern Afghanistan? Mr Speaker, last week I, I, I talked to the House about um, how the operations in Afghanistan were changing. On Monday, the Secretary of State announced to the House of Commons additional troops that we are sending to Afghanistan. The fact is we have made great progress against the Taliban, and the fact is also that their tactics have changed considerably. They are no longer fighting as an army, they are fighting as an insurgency, and that is why we are seeing mines, we are seeing roadside bombs, 
and indeed we are seeing suicide bombs and we are seeing Iraqi-style tactics practiced by the Taliban in Afghanistan. Uh, that is why uh, we are reordering uh, the way our forces work in Afghanistan and that is why also we are taking new equipment to Afghanistan as was announced by the Defence Secretary on Monday. And I believe that we are well equipped in Afghanistan and will be better equipped in the months to come to deal with this new problem. That being said, I think we are also uh, making uh, progress uh, on economic and social development in Afghanistan, on trying to give more powers to local people to run their own affairs, and trying to persuade the central government to tackle corruption and, of course, to tackle the drugs trade with greater rigor and with greater determination. So our strategy in Afghanistan is to deal with the insurgency. It is to make it possible for Afghan soldiers uh, and uh, the police to be trained by British and other forces to use the support of the 40 other countries that are working with us in Afghanistan and the 80 countries that have supported us in the new plan for Afghan national development. And the strategy is more and more that Afghan will take responsibility for their own affairs. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I'm very grateful for that answer. And obviously the Prime Minister is absolutely right that this is a counterinsurgency campaign. And isn't all the evidence of the past that in order to defeat a counterinsurgency campaign, we need complete unity of command? And obviously at the moment we have the NATO-led ISAF command and the American-led Operation Enduring Freedom Command. And there is always a risk of them pulling in different directions. As the Prime Minister knows, I've raised this many times before. I know how aware he is of this and that he is trying to... Uh, make sure we get this right for the future. Can he tell us what progress is being made in turning them into one single unified command? And we are working very closely on this, and you will have seen on Monday further announcement made by the Secretary of State about the command in future years. I do think, however, the biggest challenge we face is to link military and civilian action. That's why I've been trying to persuade the Germans to take a bigger role in the training of police, uh, and they have now increased the number of police trainers available in Afghanistan. We want a corrupt, free police that is capable of doing its job. And that's why in Paris uh, last Monday, uh, there was a huge international uh, support, uh, obviously for the reconstruction of, of Afghanistan and to give people in Afghanistan a stake in the future, to move them away from the drugs trade, to have an agriculture that's successful, to build the dam that will increase the irrigation that is necessary, and to build local businesses, not just in Kabul, but around the country. So I would stress to him, yes, uh, the military command, uh, there are changes being made, uh, and these have been announced, but yes, also, we must back up the civilian effort, which is the key to giving Afghan people a stake in their future. Uh, the soldiers who died and the members of armed forces have given their lives gave their lives with great professionalism and with great uh, courage. And, and as all the House is saying, they have died for a noble cause, and the freedoms that we have in Britain are in no small part due to the fact that we have taken on the Taliban in Afghanistan and refused them to allow to break the democracy of Afghanistan. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I'm grateful for that answer. The Prime Minister says that changes are being made, and I hope that we can have a regular update on how well this unified command will, how it will be brought about and when, and how we can see progress on that. Can I turn to another aspect of foreign policy? Does the Prime Minister agree with me that following the Irish vote, the Lisbon Treaty should be declared dead? Mr. Speaker, I, I, will, be, I will be attending uh, the European Council tomorrow. And I think it's right to bring the House up to date with what, is, what has been happening. We respect the decision of the Irish. They have asked to have more time to discuss what their proposals will be to deal with this situation. They have not suggested either 
that they wish to postpone the ratification of the Lisbon Treaty for other countries or that they wish to stall the whole process. And just as we have respect for the Irish, we should have respect for the other countries that are processing the treaty and ratifying the treaty as well. And perhaps we should also have respect for this House, which has voted for the ratification of the treaty. The Prime Minister should understand that either this treaty is dead or it isn't. And I simply don't understand why he doesn't have the courage to say that it is dead. This is not a treaty that Britain wanted or needed. It's a treaty he was so ashamed of that he had to sign it in a room all on his own. Because the Prime Minister won't take a lead and declare this treaty dead, everyone suspects that he and others in Europe are going to make the Irish vote again. Will he guarantee that he would never support such an arrogant and high-handed move? Wouldn't it be ridiculous to ask the Irish to vote twice when we haven't even been allowed to vote once? Mr Speaker, to take on from his first question, this is surely a matter for the Irish to decide what they want to do, not for him to tell them what they want to do or us to tell them what they want to do. And I I have to say to him, he forgets all the time during this discussion that 60% of our trade is with the European Union, that 3 million jobs depend on the European Union that his party supports the enlargement of the European Union and the whole purpose of the treaty is to bring into place the institutional arrangements that make the enlargement possible. Once again, the Conservative Party will the ends, but they don't support the means. The the, the Prime Minister says this is a matter for the Irish people, but the Irish people have spoken. They have said no. Which part of no doesn't the Prime Minister understand? And the Prime Minister says he doesn't want to bully Ireland, but doesn't he understand that continuing with the ratification process is doing precisely that? The Foreign Secretary says that we've got to proceed in order to express a British view. If the Prime Minister wants to hear a British view, why doesn't he ask the British people? Mr Speaker, the the last time uh, a Conservative government was in power, when the Maastricht Treaty came up, not... The then Prime Minister Minister came to the House and said, our partners propose to complete the ratification procedures. We share that judgment and intend to continue with the passage of the bill, and that's what they did. And as for the referendum, they opposed the referendum on Maastricht, which was about more integration. They opposed a referendum on the Single European Act when they were a power. They even proposed the initial referendum on membership of the European Union. Even now, they cannot give a straight answer on whether they support a post-ratification referendum. This is not a position of principle. It is opposition for opposition's sake. Once again... He wants to know... The Prime Minister wants to know whether we support a post-ratification referendum. Ratifying what exactly after this Irish no vote? The Prime Minister goes on. Instead of going on about John Major, why not supply some leadership? I know that he's determined. Order. 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 Allow, allow the Leader of the Opposition to speak. Mr Norris, you're far too noisy. I've said it to you. You're far too noisy. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I I know the Prime Minister wants to live in the past, but why don't we learn from the past? And the whole lesson of the last ten years is that you cannot build support for these sorts of changes without holding a referendum. And while he talks about history, let's have a quick look at Labour's history on this. Yes, all the time when you were in the government. 
First they said they didn't want a constitution, then they said they'd accept a constitution. They said they didn't want a referendum, then they said they'd have a referendum. Then they cancelled the referendum and they brought back the constitution. Now the constitution is half dead on the floor, they haven't got the courage to kill it. Frankly, I have seen more spine and leadership from a bunch of jellyfish. Why doesn't the Prime Minister give some leadership, tell us what he thinks and kill this treaty today? As far as, far, as far as the referendum is concerned, let's remember what his former Chancellor said, that a European referendum, he said, would be crackpot, dotty and, frankly, absurd. And if he wants to show the Conservative Party has really changed, why doesn't he change the position to support the European Union? And if he wants to lead his party, why is he being led by the backbencher anti-Europeans who are dictating the tune every time? We know where we are. We are in favour of Europe. The three million jobs that depend on it, and we will work for a European Union that helps Britain. Mr Speaker, with opposition voters in Zimbabwe being murdered, beaten and starved, with independent monitors being abducted and terrorised, with the head of the Pan-African observers saying there's no way next, election, next week's election will be free and fair, with Mugabe declaring war on anybody daring to vote against him, isn't it time that the international community, including my old anti-apartheid friends in Pretoria, demand that this election is called off, that the results of the first free and fair round are recognised. The winner, Morgan Changarai, declared president of a government of national unity and Mugabe forced to recognise at last that the long-suffering people of Zimbabwe want him to go and want him to go now. Yeah. Uh, I have a great respect for the use of my right honourable friend who has been involved in the politics of southern Africa for many, many years uh, and done great things. Uh, there have been 53 confirmed deaths 2,000 people have been injured, 30,000 people have been displaced during this campaign, and 4 million people are in need of food aid and being denied it by the regime. And the deputy leader of M MDC, Tendai Beatty, is in police custody. And these are not circumstances in which a free and fair election at this stage can take place. Now, we have asked uh, the uh, regime to allow in observers for the 9,400 polling stations that exist, Hundreds of observers have gone in. More observers are to go in. We demand that these observers come from the different parts of the world and not just from Africa. We demand also that the UN Human Rights Envoy be admitted into Zimbabwe and we demand that the proper monitoring of these elections take place. If that is not to happen, it will be difficult to justify elections as free and fair. Uh, Mr Speaker, I'd like to add my own uh, expressions of sympathy and condolence to the friends and family of Private Jeff Doherty, Lance Corporal James Bateman and of course to the four soldiers who tragically <coughs> lost their lives in Helmand yesterday. Mr Speaker, this government has handed over a £9 billion windfall profit to the energy companies through the emissions trading scheme. How can the Prime Minister reconcile this huge subsidy with the fact that 5.5 million British families and three-quarters of a million more British pensioners are set to plunge into fuel poverty? <coughs> How can it be fair to subsidise large energy companies when ordinary families can't pay their fuel bills. Yeah. Mr Speaker, I, I don't accept the figures that he's uh, bringing to this house. And first of all, we have increased the winter fuel payments. The winter fuel payment is now £250 for all families over, where someone is over 60. 
and it is now at £300. Indeed, it is rising by £100 this year for people over 80. And we are determined to help those people who are elderly uh, pay their fuel bills. We have also negotiated an agreement with the utilities where first £100 million and then £150 million a year will be provided to help uh, low-income families. And we are determined to do everything we can to reduce fuel poverty in this country. So I do not accept that we have not acted. This is a very difficult situation when oil prices have trebled, and we are determined to, walk, to do everything we can to help the vulnerable families of this country. Those measures are tinkering at the edges. People are struggling to get by now. I'm not sure if he understands the pressures that, that families are under. They're facing a massive 40% hike in the price of gas and the poorest customers are still paying the highest prices. Now, if the Spanish government was able to claw back over more than €1 billion Euros of its subsidy, why can't he do the same? So will he now compel British energy companies to use more of their £9 billion windfall to install smart meters, insulate more homes, and force them, force them to offer their best prices to their poorest customers? Mr Speaker, he forgets that we are taking action to insulate people's homes. We have the biggest insulation programme in history to help those people who need draft-proofing and insulation to get insulation for their homes. He must acknowledge when things have been done. And as for his talk about the Spanish government, we have actually done more than the Spanish government. We have negotiated an agreement that's worth £150 million a year for many years ahead, and at the same time we've increased winter allowances for pensioners. And he must remember that both the Conservatives and he opposed the winter allowances when they were introduced. Mr McShane, Mr Speaker, will, will the Prime Minister... Will the Prime Minister welcome the historic decision announced in France yesterday of France rejoining the military command of NATO, thus reversing 42 years of General de Gaulle's isolation from Euro-Atlantic military integration? Will he further ensure that this Government continues to support all European efforts to work with America as America now wants to work with Europe? And does he regret that the party opposite continues to fight its own Cold War in Europe? The, the, Mr. Speaker. The two thirds of the question was all right. The third, third part was terrible. <laughs> Mr. Speaker, I, I think he was referring to the first two thirds of the question. Mr. Speaker, I welcome the decision that President Sarkozy has made uh, that he will wish to bring uh, France back into the inner core of uh, NATO. I believe that that can move forward over the next year, and I believe that cooperation within NATO can be enhanced. But I, but I have to say it is totally untrue that we are trying to merge the English and British and French navies, and that is not something we will do. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, given the intensity of military operations in Iraq and in Afghanistan, uh, and news that, uh, that of an impending cabinet uh, reshuffle, I wonder if the Prime Minister will now. Uh, I wonder if the Prime Minister will now abandon his display of contempt for our armed forces by ensuring that the next Secretary of State for Defence has just the one job of Secretary of State for Defence and not another one. Yeah, yeah. Mr Speaker, the, the Defence Secretary has just returned from Afghanistan. He does a brilliant job on behalf of the Defence Forces. He works out night and day to make sure that we have the best equipment and the best support for our Defence Forces. And I think it is disreputable of the Honourable Member to suggest otherwise. Ian Davidson. 
thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, following the, uh, the point that the Prime Minister made just now about the future of uh, my aircraft carriers, um, will he guarantee? Will he guarantee that, as part of the trade-off uh, following the collapse of the European Treaty, there will be no further additional defence arrangements put uh, forward? Mr Speaker, we announced uh, the measures of cooperation with the French when President Sarkozy was here in the country a few uh, m- months ago. But I just repeat, there is no proposal to merge the use of uh, aircraft carriers, as has been suggested in the press. And if one looks at the French uh, statement, the French equivalent of a defence white paper, it does not say that. It says there will be association. In other words, we will work together, not merge, not, not, not amalgamate. Mr Speaker, whilst the situation in Zimbabwe is tragically worsening by the hour, the UN Security Council remains paralysed by China and Russia. Will the Prime Minister now show some leadership by summoning the Chinese ambassador, reminding her that the eyes of the world are on China and Beijing in the run-up to the Olympics, and that the Chinese government should cease immediately from financially shoring up from what the Prime Minister has quite rightly described as Mugabe's criminal regime. Yes, because it it, it is right. It is a criminal regime run by a criminal cabal, and we must make that clear to the rest of the world. But I think he's wrong to say that the UN Secretary-General has not been taking action. The UN Secretary-General has met, uh, met met President Mugabe. He's made it clear he wants a human rights envoy into the country. Arrangements have been made for that human rights envoy to go into the country, and the United Nations Secretary-General has made it clear that his eyes are on a free and fair election, and he is supporting the number of monitors that will come from outside Africa for that election, and that is what we support as well. David Winnick, on the same point, um, bearing in mind the views which have been expressed by our, our right honourable friend, and the fact that so many of us in the 60s constantly denounced the Smith regime, is he aware there's great disappointment that South Africa has not taken a stronger stand against the murderous violence which goes on day after day in Zimbabwe and makes a total mockery of the election which is taking place? Would it be possible for my right honourable friend to make it clear to our good friends in South Africa that we do expect a much different response? Mr. Speaker, I've not only kept in touch with uh, the President, uh, Tabo Mameki, I was also in touch on Sunday with the uh, President-elect, uh, that is the President of the ANC, Jacob Zuma, uh, and I made it clear to him, and he supported the idea that there would be a thousand uh, monitors uh, from the ANC party offered to Zimbabwe so that they too can play their part in the election. So it is not strictly the case that South Africa is not making available election observers or monitors. That is exactly what they're doing. I've also talked in the last week with uh, President Kikwete, the chairman of the African Union, and with President uh, Museveni of Uganda. And they too and all the surrounding uh, uh, African states are acknowledging the problems that are being created by Mugabe, the need to have free and fair elections, the need to put pressure on the regime for that to happen, and the need for international monitors to be in Zimbabwe, as I said in reply to the first question only a few minutes ago. These are the conditions under which, and the only conditions under which, a free and fair election can take place. Sir Peter Briggers. If the Prime Minister were to keep the promise given in the Labour Manifesto of a referendum on the European Treaty, what does he think the result would be? 
Mr. Speaker, the last time there was a referendum in Europe, it was won by two votes to one. And, it, and I suspect that many members of the Conservative Party voted, voted for. As far as the referendum, as far as a referendum now, we've made it absolutely clear if it was the constitutional treaty that was in line before, or if it was the euro that we were joining, there would be a referendum. But we won our five protections for Britain in the new treaty. And that has been before the House of Commons and before the House of Lords. And in the House of Commons, it was resoundingly passed by members of this House. Ms. McCafferty. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, what advice has my right honourable friend received from the police on the value, the importance of database testing and CCTV in the fight against crime? Does he agree that the tools as well as the resources are very important in the fight against crime and indeed terrorism? Yeah. Mr Speaker, my, my honourable friend is, is absolutely right. DNA and the changes we have made in DNA have made it possible last year alone for 40,000 criminals to be prosecuted. 400 of these are murders, 600 of these are rapes, many of these are very severe assaults, and these people would not have been prosecuted without DNA. And therefore I find it surprising that the opposition position is that we relegate the use of DNA and that the now Mr David Davis says that we should get rid of DNA altogether. And as far as, C as, far as, as, far as, C as far as CCTV is concerned, in the, last, in the last experiment done in central Newcastle, CCTV reduced crime by 60%. Therefore, it is wrong also for the Conservatives to turn their back on one of the great technologies that can assist us in the fight, fight against crime. I, I, suppose, I suppose the Leader of the Opposition is going to go to the by-election to give his warm personal support to, to the candidate. And, and, and no doubt the candidate will stand as last year in the by-election as David Cameron's Conservative. Sir Michael Spacer, why are there always so many strikes at the end of a Labour government? <laughs> Mr Speaker, the number... Mr. Speaker, the number of industrial disputes and the number of days lost from strikes is lower by far than under the Conservative Government. In, in recent months, our International Development Committee has been highlighting the increasing impoverishment of the Palestinian people. In welcoming the announcement of the Hamas ceasefire from tomorrow, will my right honourable friend urge the Israeli government to now stop the damaging and punishing blockade so that ordinary Palestinians suffer no longer? Yeah. Mr Speaker, I think the whole House uh, will be pleased to have heard of the ceasefire that has been announced. Uh, thanks uh, to the work of the Egyptians, whom I, 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 I praise, uh, between Hamas uh, uh, and Israel, and that hopefully will bring greater peace uh, to Gaza. Uh, but it is important that the message goes out as well that Hamas stops the rocket attacks that have been doing so much damage to civilians in Israel. And it's important also, uh, as the President of the United States said only two days ago, that the Israelis stop the settlement program that is causing so much distress among the Palestinians. And I believe that President Bush sent a very important message this week that he will put the weight of the American government behind a settlement in the Middle East 
And that is the way uh, that I believe that we can get an end to the, the poverty, the unemployment and distress which is causing so much damage in Gaza and the West Bank. We, Britain, are ready with other countries with an economic plan to underpin a peace settlement, but that peace settlement must be based on a security agreement which only the Palestinians and the Israelis should sign, and I hope it moves forward quickly. And when's that then? Three cheers for the Irish, Mr. Speaker. How can the Prime Minister How can the Prime Minister expect the people of this country to obey our laws and to trust the government if the government itself flagrantly ignores the European Union rule that if a treaty is opposed, rejected by just one country, it falls? Mr. Speaker, it's the Conservative Party all over again. There they are, viscerally anti-European. And the truth is, they haven't changed a bit. And we all know the agenda of the Honourable Member and many Conservatives. They don't want just to defeat the treaty. They want us out of Europe altogether, and that would be bad for Britain. Mr. Speaker, the extortionate prices charged by some pharmaceutical companies to the National Health Service is a matter of continuing concern to doctors, patients and nurses. Is the government discussing this with the industry and what plans are there to cut the cost of new drugs to the NHS? Mr Speaker, I hope the whole House will welcome the fact that a new agreement has been signed with the pharmaceutical companies about the supply of drugs. It will save more than £1.5 billion on the cost of NHS drugs over the next five years. It will speed up the adoption of new drugs inside the National Health Service. It will mean that when the Secretary for Health comes to the House with his proposals for the new NHS constitution and the Darcy Review, we will be able to do more in future years to improve the National Health Service, which is already being transformed under a Labour government. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister's Special Advisor on Criminal Justice, Louise Casey, revealed that after interviewing 13,000 people, they felt cut off and remote from the criminal justice system. In the light of the fact that his government has passed 50 criminal justice pieces of legislation, what steps is the Prime Minister now going to take to restore public confidence in the criminal justice system? Mr Speaker, overall crime has come down by 30%, and it's as a result of there being more police on the street and the greatest investment in policing that has happened in our history. But people need to feel feel safe as well as be safe, and there it's important that we have measures that build community confidence in not only the policing and justice system. And that's why Louise Casey has proposed that we strengthen community payback uh, so that young people who commit crimes return return with their efforts to the community uh, to do community work, That's why she wants to see an expansion of Neighbourhood Watch, and we want community champions. But that's why also I've got to say we need CCTV, we need DNA, and it's quite wrong for the Conservative Party to turn their back on these things. Order. We come to the 10-minute rule motion. Honourable members, leave the chamber quietly. For more discussion and analysis, download Guardian Daily. That's The Guardian's news podcast, available first thing in the morning, Monday to Friday. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.